On the next day away, we'll have a conversation with Randy Russell from the Russell Group, and we'll talk with Jenny Lester Moffitt from USDA on the next AOA. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thank you for joining us here on AOA, Agriculture of America Today. Great to have you along. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Today's program brought to you by Cenex and Cenex Premium Diesel, like Cenex Roadmaster XL. Everyday products powered locally by Cenex. Coming up on today's program, we're going to be joined by Ryan Legrand with the U.S. Grains Council here in just a minute. Also, in segment two, we're going to talk about the potential shipping impacts that the Israel-Gaza war could have in the Middle East and more. Christian Roloffs with Container Exchange will join us for a conversation. In segment three, we'll talk with Mac Marshall from the United Soybean Board. And then in segment four, a new story that kind of caught my eye uh, here recently that was um, interesting. It just came out here last week. It's a genetic merit pricing task force uh, looking at the uh, genetic information in the feeder cattle market. We're going to learn more about that coming up in segment four today. So a lot to get to here on today's program. First up, though, let's kick things off. Joining us now, he is the president and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. Ryan Legrand is with us. Ryan, it's great to talk with you. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Well, Ryan, let's jump in. And first, I know uh, the Grains Council just wrapped up hosting the Global Ethanol Summit in Washington, D.C. here last week. Can you give us a recap of uh, what happened there in D.C.? Yeah, so we certainly did. This is one of our flagship events that um, it started four years ago. Actually, the the global one started four years ago. We've done regional-specific ones uh, before that. But uh, we, we brought together over 300, close to 350 international visitors from about 43 countries. These are uh, policymakers, uh, industry participants, importers of, of ethanol, and uh, looking to affect change, affect biofuel policies, and specifically bioethanol policies around the world, and, and all in attempts to, uh, to increase global consumption of this product and, and of course, increase exports of U.S. bioethanol to the world. Yeah, and uh, looking at increasing those exports, of course, uh, all part of uh, what you guys do with the U.S. Grains Council. And, you know, the bioethanol side, it, it feels like there is still a lot of room for growth there on that side of the industry, isn't there, Ryan? There certainly is. It's a low-carbon solution. As, as countries uh, are looking to, uh, to meet net-zero goals by, by 2050 and beyond, we are touting bioethanol as a right-here-right-now solution. You know, there, there seems to be a, a craze for electronic vehicles. The EVs are, are all we hear about these days. But, but ethanol is, is here uh, now, and it's here to stay, and, and it can really drive down the, the emissions of, of tailpipe and uh, greenhouse gas emissions overall for countries. 
Ryan, let's talk about just the overall outlook for uh, grain exports here from the U.S. too. As I know we've uh, wrapped up the 22-23 marketing year. Maybe you can provide us with your perspective uh, on how things wrapped up for the last marketing year and how things are, are looking in your opinion right now as we get into the 23-24 marketing year. Sure thing. Well, well, exports overall are, are certainly down, uh, a lot lower than what we'd like to see. We're coming off two very robust years. So two crops ago, 21-22, uh, we, we exported 70 million metric tons of corn, and that was a record. Uh, followed it up with 62 million metric tons. And then, unfortunately, last year, uh, for a number of reasons, really, really dropped off. Um, to the start of the 22-23 crop year, we had low low water levels on mm-hmm. on the Mississippi, uh, driving barge freight rates you know, to historically high levels. Uh, that persisted through through Q1 of 23. Uh, we had a real strong dollar at that time, and, and Brazil had record crops of of corn. And so all that really added up to the to the perfect or imperfect storm for for U.S. corn exports, and we didn't we saw some robust months, but just didn't have the year we were hoping for. And unfortunately, we're right now we're we're starting off uh, this crop year with again low low water levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see how how it plays out. We we may see that persist into January, but we're hoping for some more precipitation and and, and hoping to get some corn exports rolling out the door because uh, we we need them to pick up. We definitely do need them to pick up, and I think uh, that's one of the big talking points in the markets overall as well, Ryan, is just, you know, with, with sluggish exports, and that's maybe keeping a little bit of a lid on, on the commodity markets and more. And so to your point with the low water levels, obviously we have issues right there right now. Do we have some other avenues that we could try to export grain? And I've heard a lot of talk about grain moving out of the PNW. Uh, now we have the St. Lawrence Seaway strike going on, so that takes away another avenue. We obviously have rail. We have truck. Uh, what's your thoughts on just some of the routes that we have available right now at our disposal for exports out of the U.S.? Yeah, you know, the the, the rail, railroads seem to have incented some additional moves out of the PNW, which is good to see, uh, because in, in lack of the, the St. Lawrence Seaway and low waters on, on the Mississippi, uh, it's got to move somewhere, right? So uh, it's good to see some, some product moving off of our northwest coast. Uh, but we also we always have Mexico as well. You know, Mexico is a, a strong rail customer where that really doesn't, short of a rail strike, uh, God forbid, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that that doesn't get slowed down too much. And and Mexico will continue to be a, a strong uh, customer there, and in Canada uh, as well. You know, staying with the rail, uh, those are exports that that we we need to continue to push on and. Uh, you know, while we're not getting as much out on the water, we've got to look to our, our neighboring partners for, for those exports. Ryan, as we think about exports as well, I know you guys do a lot of work, obviously, to expand uh, our, our markets uh, for U.S. Uh, grains. Uh, what's the big uh, drive for you here as we uh, are in quarter four, getting into next year? Uh, any new markets that uh, you guys are, are looking at and trying to do some outreach in? I know we had a delegation of Korean buyers, I believe, here a few weeks ago. So, you know, things like that shows that continued uh, commitment, I would say, from U.S. Grains Council to try and expand our, our trade with other countries. Certainly. Asia is is really always one that we're heavily focused on. We've got 
six of our nine international offices located in Asia, and and we've got a real focus there because when you know they're driving forty percent, close to forty percent of the world's GDP. Uh, so countries like like Korea, like Japan, are are always going to be uh, high priority for us. But we need to move in more into Southeast Asia. Uh, particularly Vietnam, that's that's a, a, a country that, that imports a lot of corn, and we really don't get the share uh, that we need. We, we'd actually like to see, you know, more of a, a you know, closer ties with with that uh, with that country. And specifically, a free trade agreement would be wonderful to have mm-hmm. with Vietnam. They're the they're one of the biggest corn importers in Southeast Asia, and we we'd like to have closer ties with them. Uh, beyond that, we're focused on value-added products as well, like bioethanol, as we mentioned early in the call, like distillers' grains uh, and all the high-protein products that are starting to come off of, of our ethanol plants here in the United States. We really believe that creating the value here in the United States, creating those jobs in the United States, and then exporting the high-value, value-added products is uh, the way we want to go in the future. Well, a lot of great insights, and uh, I obviously appreciate the time. I know uh, things are busy, and we'll look forward to having a conversation with you again uh, here in the future. With that, President and CEO of the U.S. Cranes Council, Ryan Legrand, thanks for joining me on AOA today. It was great to talk with you. Have an awesome rest of your day. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Same to you. Fantastic. Ryan Legrand there with the U.S. Grains Council. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about the potential impacts uh, that the Israel-Gaza war could have on shipping here across the U.S. and around the world. We're going to talk with Christian Roloffs, co-founder of Container Exchange. That's coming up next here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of the Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. So how's harvest? Higher yield potential starts with the season-long systemic disease protection of Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides protect corn crops from key foliar diseases and support physiological benefits that help develop healthier, higher yielding corn for a difference you'll appreciate at harvest. Visit your FMC retailer for an at-plant advantage. Always read and follow all label directions. Challenge. It's not something you shy from. It's a chance to up your game. Every day brings a new challenge, but with the Enhanced Channel Seed brand on your side, you can rise to it. With our top-performing seed, innovative digital tools, and expanded agronomic support, you can turn tomorrow's challenges into your next advantage. Your Enhanced Channel Seed brand. Let's rise to the challenge. Learn more at channel.com rise. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Are you curious about biologicals for stronger crop health? You're not alone. At Terramax, they've seen more farmers just like you choosing to apply biologicals with increasing success. For more than 25 years, they've been harnessing the power of microbial inoculants to strengthen roots, improve soil health, and boost yields acre after acre. If you're ready to get a biological boost, turn to the experts at Terramax. Visit TerramaxAg.com to learn more about what microbial technology can do for your farm. Hey, Dad. 
Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA Agriculture of America here today, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel and Cenex Roadmaster XL, everyday products powered locally by Cenex. Find your nearest location online at Cenex.com. Well, we want to turn our attention now to what is going on in the Middle East, the Israel-Palestine conflict uh, with Hamas. It really is a terrible situation to watch the, on the humanitarian side. We want to also talk about the impact to regional trade and, and world trade, for that matter. Joining us to have a conversation about that, he is the co-founder and CEO of Container Exchange. Christian Roloffs is joining us on the program here today. Christian, thanks so much for the time and joining us here on AOA. I hope you're doing well. Thanks a lot uh, for having us, uh, Jesse. Well, first off, before we dive in, I'd love for you to give folks an idea of your role, obviously, as co-founder and CEO of Container Exchange. Can you tell us a little bit more about the company to start? Sure. So we're, a, um, in, in the most basic sense, a platform for uh, container logistics, um, really connecting uh, owners and users of containers, so the big steel boxes that uh, that are being shipped around the, the world. Um, and we... Uh, uh, we allow uh, uh, users like uh, freight forwarders, uh, NVOCCs, uh, shipping lines to flexibly find uh, shipping containers either to 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 lease uh, or to buy, uh, of course, uh, and use for their cargo or, of course, also for uh, storage, uh, for that matter. Mm -hmm. Okay, fantastic. Well, I want to talk about this situation going on in Israel with uh, Hamas and uh, what's going on in Gaza and how it's already affecting or could affect regional and global trade flows and the transportation of goods. Can you share your thoughts on the impacts that we could be seeing here? Sure. So, so, so far, the impact that we're seeing is relatively limited and very, very localized. So, for example, uh, the port of Ashdod uh, is only uh, 50 kilometers or so away from the Gaza Strip, so very, very close to the action, uh, the, the heat of the battle. Um, and there we are seeing uh, some some vessel delays, some some extensions in security checks, for example, uh, especially for 
uh, hazardous materials, so explosives uh, and stuff like that that are being uh, transported in, in containers. So there we do see some slowdowns and some, some disruptions and some delays, uh, but also in all other ports uh, of Israel, um, it, we, we don't really see any impacts yet. Um, it's really very, very localized, um, yeah, how do you say that, uh, conflict uh, right now uh, in and around the, the Gaza Strip. Um, however, of course, if that conflict uh, persists, and uh, especially if it uh, if it crosses uh, the borders, and if uh, other regional players uh, uh, sort of get involved, then uh, we will very, very likely see significant disruptions to uh, not just regional trade um, between, let's say, Israel and Egypt, uh, Turkey, uh, etc., but also um, on the on the world scale because um, the Suez Canal is just a a couple of couple of kilometers or miles uh, away from uh, Israel and the Gaza Strip. Um, so, and uh, what happens if the Suez Canal is blocked? We've seen uh, last year uh, when the the Ever Given uh, sort of got lodged in the uh, in the canal, um, and then uh, then of course uh, that, that would have significant repercussions and and disruptions um, for global transportation and logistics. Now, I know we saw this happen uh, with the Russia-Ukraine war. We're still seeing it happen. Uh, insurance for some ships, hard to come by. Freight rates going higher. Do you foresee, anticipate the same happening possibly here surrounding Israel potentially? Um, yes, but again, so far, this is very limited. Yeah. So you'll see insurance premiums, uh, sort of uh, that, that insurance premiums for vessels that are going into Israel. Yes, they are. They're, they're, they're increasing. They're rising now. Um, but uh, as long as this really um, remains um, remains limited to the Gaza Strip, uh, uh, we don't we don't expect this to happen on a on a global scale. Okay, all right. I understand that Israel sends a lot of high tech exports to China. Plus, there's plenty of exports to the U.S., Europe, India, and more. What are they sending typically to these countries, and how could some of those exports be affected? Yeah, so it's it's really it's really tech uh, tech uh, tech tech instruments, measuring instruments, medical instruments, um, uh, those those kind of uh, products um, that are being um, produced in Israel or finished in Israel uh, from semi-finished finished goods and then then exported. Um, I so far um, Israel is not a monopolist for certain uh, certain of these uh, these types of goods. It's not like uh, Taiwan that that has a almost monopoly on some sort of semiconductor um, uh, themes or, or products and uh, where yeah, sort of a conflict in that area would, would have uh, sort of really uh, impacts that uh, that are being felt around the world. Um, products from Israel, yes, they are, they're, they're meaningful um, and they're relevant, uh, but also there, uh, they can be replaced. Um, on a global scale, trade with Israel, so in and out of Israel, is uh, is not uh, not super significant, um, so to speak. Okay, all right. Well, I know we've been seeing this shifting of the deck chair, so to speak, when it comes to global trade flows. Obviously, here on this program, we talk a lot about agricultural exports and the movement of grain and and meat and more around the world. I know China's going to South America much more for grain and different commodities. We have different alliances like BRICS that's showing up. There's the India, Middle East, Europe economic corridor. I mean, as you watch some of these different, you know, global trade flows change, what's your perspective on how some of these things are changing and, and could be impacted by wider conflict in the Middle East? Yeah. So actually, sort of BRICS, I think, is, is one of the most interesting uh, interesting topics here. 
Um, if you think about it, it's really a, a symptom of a further polarization of of global trade um it's really a, it started as a um yeah as a as a group as a, as a loose group of uh, emerging uh, countries uh, emerging nations um and it has become a more of a formalized group uh, that then yeah in in the in the summit or at the summit in, in south africa actually also added uh, countries like uh, like iran uh, etc to to the group um, really strengthening that block um, and starting to build up a force uh, that can rival um, sort of the, the West, right? So the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the historical sort of Western trading blocks. Um, and so any, any conflict um, in the Middle East, um, and I think that's very interesting, has sort of the potential to, to further uh, cement, cement those blocks uh, into the old West, uh, so to speak, and uh, countries like China, Russia, uh, India, uh, Iran, etc., um, and sort of start to pit pit those uh, those blocks uh, against against each other. Um, and then we have you also mentioned this sort of the the India Middle East Economic uh, Corridor, uh, which was designed or, or, or uh, formulated as a rival to the to the Belt and Road to the Chinese Belt and Road uh, Initiative. Now that's of course uh, sort of facing facing scrutiny or getting getting under pressure by a conflict in that region, um, and really uh, sometimes uh, or in some case also putting into question the entire concept of, of of creating that corridor because you can't you can't really build that um, if you have such such conflict in in the region. I mean, Haifa actually uh, the major port in in Israel was supposed to be the endpoint of that of that corridor um, uh, and, and and sort of the the point where a railroad link would be transshipped onto onto the ocean, and so of course, um, any any conflict there, um, any any disruptions, um, puts the brakes on a on a on a concept like that, um, and really uh, yeah, pushes pushes out an integration of the region um, and uh, yeah, closer economic ties that that typically also lead to longer lasting peace, so to speak. So many interesting things to think about uh, when you think about just global shipping and trade flows and more tied to what is going on in the Middle East. And Christian, I really appreciate the insight. Before we let you go here today, final thoughts, anything you would share, reiterate with folks as they continue to watch the developing situation uh, in the Middle East and thinking about how that could affect shipping and, and more around the world. Anything final or anything you would reiterate for folks today? No, I think for 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 me, the um, it's it's always very important to look at not just the the individual conflict, but the overall uh, bigger picture and what that means for overall volatility uh, in terms of uh, supply chains, in terms of yeah, just-in-time shipments, in terms of uh, efficiency of supply chains, etc. Um, and uh, what we've seen essentially since the beginning of COVID. Um, that there is uh, more and more disruption uh, to supply chains and uh, really put into question the concept of uh, just-in-time and highly efficient uh, supply chains. So what you have to do is really build resilience into uh, into your network, into your supply chain, uh, whether you're an agricultural producer or a consumer uh, or a, a business that relies on on imports of, let's say, semi-finished goods or, or other raw materials. Um, and so... All of these conflicts just really yeah, highlight that you have to, to plan with that uncertainty um, and build, build resilience in your supply chain. And I think that's, that's very relevant for, for businesses around the world. 
Really enjoyed the conversation and the insight with that. Christian Roloss, co-founder and CEO for Container Exchange. Thanks so much for joining us here on AOA today, and we'll look forward to having the conversation again in the future. Thanks again. Thanks a lot, Jesse. It was a pleasure. We'll be back with more AOA brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil right after this. When people look at your farm, they just see corn. But to you, it's a lot more than that. It's a college fund, your retirement plan, and it deserves trait protection that can stand up to heavy pressure threats like corn woodworm. SmartStacks Pro with RNAi technology is trusted on over 1 million acres to protect the things that mean more. Trade up at SmartStacksPro.com. Always read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Wheat is down sharply, corn is down just a bit, and soybeans have rebounded overnight. Livestock is mixed this morning with spot contracts of feeders, fats, and hogs all higher. However, the deferred contracts are lower. Now, soybean prices, they did rebound overnight. The oil seed is responding to a recent rebound in export demand amid growing domestic crush demand as well. However, gains continue to be limited by forecasts for rain in Brazil's center west region that could help it produce another robust harvest in less than three months. Meanwhile, corn and wheat prices are facing modest pressure overnight. Ample supplies are continuing to flow from Brazil for corn and Russia for wheat. Now, the broader money flow for the grain and oil seed sector does continue to be within a backdrop of a strong dollar and expectations of stagnated demand. While the energy sector maintains a modest war premium, that's balanced against the same concerns of stagnated demand due to global economic concerns. Wheat futures are also seeing some additional pressure from Paris milling wheat futures, which are lower for the third day in the past four some rain relief is expected in the Southern Plains hard winter areas with showers early today falling in the Texas Panhandle and into Oklahoma. Winter wheat planting in the U.S. is now 77% done with 53% of the crop having now emerged. Next Monday, we'll get NASA's first crop ratings for wheat and traders are looking for a 45 to 49% good to excellent initial rating. The VIX has dropped back below 20 this morning. That's following yesterday's surge to a seven month high above 23. The dollar index dropped to a one-month low below 105.4 overnight before bouncing back and currently trading around 106. Yields on 10-year treasuries are trading near 4.88%, while yields on two-year treasuries are trading near 5.1%. Crude oil prices currently are about 50 cents lower. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block, 
Maintained your health? 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. information America's farmers and ranchers need, AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA Agriculture of America here today, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel and Cenex Roadmaster XL, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Find your nearest Cenex online at Cenex.com. Well, joining us now on the program, we want to have a conversation with the VP of Market Intelligence with the United Soybean Board, Mac Marshall is with us. Mac, it's great to talk to you again, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great, Jesse. How are you? I am doing fantastic. I understand you are traveling today, so we appreciate the time uh, you joining us uh, here on the show today. Uh, sounds like you're headed up to World Food Prize in Des Moines, right? That's that's right. And this is this is a fun drive. I got to do this last year, and you know, this time of year when you know we're in harvest season, you start to see combines rolling around. You still got some, you know, crops waiting to get harvested around here. It's uh, it's a beautiful drive up, and you know, I think even more importantly, getting to, I think, really celebrate the role that American agriculture has in advancing world food security. Um, there's a reason this is always centered in, you know, the heartland of the United States, and it uh, really underscores. No, Mac, I think we lost you there for a second. There you are. Yeah. No, sorry about that. Yeah, that's one of the perils of doing this uh, on the road right now. So apologies <laughs> for exception uh, issues. Not a problem. Not a problem. Well, uh, I, I wanted to ask you, too. I know you were in the PNW last week. Uh, talk about what you uh, had going on up there. Uh, explain uh, what was happening for us. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it, it's interesting to be out in the Pacific Northwest when you're in the soy world, right? Because you don't really grow beans out in, you know, Washington State. So specifically, I was in Aberdeen, Washington, at Fort Grays Harbor, um, which is undergoing an expansion over the next couple of years. It's a meal export uh, facility and uh, looking to double that capacity, that export capacity to about 6 million tons over the next couple of years. So, um the uh, soy checkoff, uh, national as well as a number of state soybean boards have uh, invested towards some of the pre-construction and um, yeah, expansion of that port as far as like site design, et cetera, mm-hmm. because um, in the years to come, and we've already had an uh, announcement earlier this week, as we've got more and more crush coming online, we're producing more and more meal, having increased efficiency of getting that meal into export channels is absolutely critical. Uh, So this expansion is something we're incredibly excited about. And, you know, I think um, 
as we look at what the markets have been doing, I think the last couple weeks, and um, you know the USDA report that came out yesterday saying, hey, mm-hmm. we've actually um, you know set a, a record for meal exports for the 22-23 marketing year, and expected to grow that to nearly 14 million tons of exports uh, of meal next year. The market is moving. Uh, things are progressing as they should. We're having more crush come online. And, um, you know, seeing those export numbers uh, come up is exactly the way things should be moving. So very, very exciting. Um, I think both for the domestic soybean industry, exporters, and, of course, um, you know, buyers in other parts of the world that are going to be seeing more meal coming their way from the U.S. And I was going to say, I'm glad you brought up uh, the meal side of the equation here, uh, talking about things, because you, you are right. The new reports from USDA looking at uh, record highs for soybean meal exports here from the U.S. And, and we've seen a really strong soybean meal market and, and really feels like a, a, an incentive for folks uh, to, to crush more here in the U.S. It, it seems like we talked about this before, back with all the different things coming online, expanded crush and uh, different uses for for bio-based uh, fuels and more and soy-based fuels. I mean, there's there's a lot of market opportunity here in the soybean industry in the U.S. I, I, I'd say, you know, not to get hyperbolic, but maybe more so than at any other point in the past. Um, you know, I've got the benefit of talking with people around the industry who you know, been working in soy for literally decades. And, you know, you had the Chinese market, you know, come in as a commercial buyer you know, back in the 90s and, you know, grow significantly from there. That was obviously a huge positive disruption for um, the American soybean market. But now, to, to your point here, as we think about all the various uses and applications, you know, remember, when we crush beans, we get, you know, roughly four times as much meal as we do oil. And, um you know, historically, as meal has been the value driver, now these last couple of years, as we've seen oil take on greater importance and value, um, you've really got both sides of soy in terms of protein and meal and, you know, uh, you know fat and, and oil, uh, you know, really helping bring value on both sides of, uh, of what soy produces here. And, you know, you look at the end channels, you mentioned, um, you know, uh, bio-based solutions, including biofuels, renewable diesel, uh, mm-hmm. using increased volumes of soybean oil. And then, of course, you've got the, the traditional uses um, for, uh, you know, for soy meal and, and animal feed. So it's this nice intersection of soy playing a role in, you know, as, as, a, as a critical feedstock for, um, for renewable diesel and decarbonizing the economy while still you know, continuing to provide that critical source of essential amino acids, the building blocks of, of protein in life for, uh, for making animal protein. We're talking with Mac Marshall, VP of Market Intelligence for the United Soybean Board here today on AOA. Uh, Mac, uh, I'm thinking out loud a little bit here, but just with some of this expanded opportunity uh, for, for soybeans and the entire soybean market here in the U.S., uh, you know, we're wrapping up harvest this year do we maybe anticipate seeing a few more acres of soybeans planted as we get into 2024, possibly? I mean, with some of this expanded market opportunity, I feel like the, the chances are, are pretty good. We could possibly shift some of those acres from corn to beans as we get into next year. There's certainly a possibility. I mean, one, recall that 
you know, we had 83 and a half million acres roughly go in the ground this year. And that was definitely below expectations, below what the market was calling for at the time. Mm -hmm. And then if you, if you reconcile that with the balance sheets, you know, we had the WASDE come out two weeks ago, um, slight cut in production. And that means that our expected carryout at the end of the 23-24 marketing year is actually going to be smaller than what it is at the end of the 22-23 marketing year. So if, if you're looking at that, you're looking at the price signals, you're looking at, you know, your corn bean ratio, I think it's around 2-4 now, um, you know, there's certainly, uh, there's certainly a potential for increased bean area this next season. Again, that 83.5, well below where we've been the last couple of years, you've got that continued demand, you've got you know, several crush plants, I mean, I'm about, I'm literally about to go uh, across the Iowa border here. You've got several crush plants in Iowa coming online this marketing year. So that means even in the near term, we're having, you know, increased volume demand here, uh, you know, domestically as mm -hmm. borne by the crush. And farmers, American farmers, as they always have, respond to those market signals. And, um, you know, I think we'll be taking a lot of these factors into consideration looking at um you know at, at the futures curves looking at their their p l and um you know making that crop plan for uh for 2024 um but yeah. of course you know it's this time of year when you know we're in a weather market for south america we need to see what uh the crops coming out of brazil and argentina are going to look like of course we're going to get a better sense of that in the next couple months as planning has really just kind of started down there mm -hmm. um and that'll play a role in, uh, you know, determining what those harvest time futures that farmers are looking at uh, when they're making the final planning decisions in the spring. Well, Mac, uh, as well, how concerned are you with the low water levels on the Mississippi River? And that might be a good place for us to wrap up here. we got a couple of minutes. Uh, I know we have trouble right now trying to replenish the uh, inland waterway system. The St. Lawrence Seaway is under a strike right now. Uh, how concerned are you with where the river level situation is on the Mississippi right now in terms of soybean exports? Well, you know, it's it's really the third year in a row where we've had some kind of major disruption along the waterways. So one, I, I think it really underscores the criticality of, of maintaining and uh, advancing our inland waterway infrastructure. That's part of the reason why the checkoff invests so heavily, you know, towards the dredging of the lower Mississippi, towards the expansion of the Port of Grace Harbor. One of the advantages that we have in the United States is that we have, um, you know, a, a diverse geography of navigable waterways. That's one of the things that helps give us a competitive advantage as both an exporter and, um, you know, and, and the ability to move product around within the country itself. You know, like the, you know, the export um, export campaign for the new marketing year, at least for whole beans, is definitely off to a better start than it was last year if you're looking at the export sales reports. But, you know, certainly... Any time you have a, you're having a snarling of a transport channel, I mean, I, I'm thinking about this from a farmer profitability standpoint. Anytime you have those transportation logistics issues, that means transportation costs go up. That means your basis goes up. That means, you know, you get, as a farmer, you're taking a hit, uh, you know, financially on that widening basis. So that's, that's really more of where my concern is. I think as far as the ability to export, um, you know, we've, we've got, uh, you know, we, we, we continue to have uh, diverse, you know, uh, channels there. So when you have a log jam in one place, you're able to export through uh, through another channel. So things that might not be going out via the Gulf 
or um, you know St. Lawrence, which is where it's a smaller waterway, but it's a growing one for soy. Um, you've of course uh, you know got your eastern channels as well as uh, most critically the the P and W here. So I think we're mm-hmm. still going to be exporting large volumes this season, um, but you know just these the, the short term disruptions you know brought on by at the low water level. Um, you know, it's definitely it's definitely concerning from like you know what farmers we've seen in the cash market. Is definitely, how I look at it. Well, it's something we're going to keep our eyes on for sure. We're out of time this segment with that VP of Market Intelligence with the United Soybean Board, Mac Marshall. Safe travels, Mac. Thanks for joining us on AOA today. We appreciate it. Thanks, Jesse. Have a great day. All right. Coming up next here on AOA, we're going to talk about something new, a feeder cattle-related study that I think is very interesting. We're going to dive into it. Coming up next here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Roadmaster XL. Back with more right after this. Turning to biologicals for improved plant nutrition and nitrogen fixing may feel novel to a lot of farmers, but it's a proven method for decades. Nobody knows this better than Terramax, a leading innovator of biological inoculants for more than 25 years. Their strong roots in microbial technology means they know what it takes to deliver stronger roots for crops acre after acre. When you decide to boost your yield with biologicals, turn to Terramax. Then visit TerramaxAg.com to learn more. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. When people look at your farm, they just see corn. But to you, it's a lot more than that. It's a college fund, your retirement plan, and it deserves trait protection that can stand up to heavy pressure threats like corn woodworm. SmartStacks Pro with RNAi technology is trusted on over 1 million acres to protect the things that mean more. Trade up at SmartStacksPro.com. Always read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Andrew Schultz, an agronomist with CHS, about fall fertilizer strategies. Andrew, what nutrients will likely be in demand this fall and why? The largest demanded products this fall are going to be your phosphorus and potassium sources. The main reason for that is the fact that those two nutrients, they stay very stable in the soil. On top of that, to be honest, time is money. Eight out of 10 years, as we get into higher demand parts of the year, our fertilizer costs start going up. Every day we're not in the field planting, that's costing us money, and Mother Nature is unpredictable. Why is soil sampling an important part of a nutrient plan? Soil sampling gives us a base. We want to know if we're over or under applying nutrients to try and give that crop the opportunity to yield as much as it's going to. Uh, There's something called the law of minimums. Even though you have an abundant amount of nutrients in the soil, if you're lacking in one of them, 
your crops just not going to perform. Soil sampling is helping us figure out and diagnose different problems or why the yields are dragging in certain crops. Well, Andrew, why is it important to follow four R principles, right source, right rate, right place, and right time when applying fertilizer and what technologies can help? For this industry to survive, our farmers need to maximize yields, maximize profits. And to do that, we just got done talking about some soil sampling. We need to figure out what's right, where we're placing it, and how much we're placing it. A couple different technologies we got. My biggest belief is in our boom floaters. When we start looking at accuracy and going across those acres, we're right there. I mean, we're using GPS. We're using a lot of variable rate technologies. If an acre doesn't need nutrients, we're not placing it there. Once again, that's Andrew Schultz, agronomist with CHS, joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. When people look at your farm, they just see corn. But to you, it's a lot more than that. It's a college fund your retirement plan. And it deserves trait protection that can stand up to heavy pressure threats like corn woodworm. SmartStacks Pro with RNAi technology is trusted on over 1 million acres to protect the things that mean more. Trade up at SmartStacksPro.com. Always read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Turning to biologicals for improved plant nutrition and nitrogen fixing may feel novel to a lot of farmers, but it's a proven method for decades. Nobody knows this better than Terramax, a leading innovator of biological inoculants for more than 25 years. Their strong roots in microbial technology means they know what it takes to deliver stronger roots for crops acre after acre. When you decide to boost your yield with biologicals, turn to Terramax. Then visit TerramaxAg.com to learn more. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. Jesse Allen back with you here. And right now we want to learn more about the Genetic Merit Pricing Task Force. They're beginning work to accelerate the use of genetic information in the feeder cattle market. Here to tell us more about it, we have with us Tom Brink with the Red Angus Association of America and Dr. Ken Adi with Kansas State University. And uh, gentlemen, thank you for joining us on AOA today. Hope you're doing well. Great thank to be you with for you. having us on. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you both. So uh, tell me a little bit more about the uh, Genetic Merit Pricing Task Force and just Kind of an overview on how this came together. Uh, Tom, Ken, whoever wants to take it, uh, give us just kind of the background on, on what exactly this task force is going to be doing. Tom, go ahead. You be- okay, thanks, Ken. Yeah, I'll get started. This is something that actually has been in the works for over a year and a half. And it started with a survey that we did some time ago, just looking at price discovery in feeder cattle. And what we found, there was a lot of cattle feeders involved in that survey, in fact, over 200. And what we found is that they weren't especially happy with the price discovery process as it relates to how we are assigning value to different feeder cattle today. And they really, the one big takeaway from that survey is they want genetics to be a bigger part of the price discovery process. They really want genetic information to be more influential in the market because they understand that genetics definitely impact performance. 
efficiency, carcass results, everything. And yet, if you look today in our feeder cattle markets across the country, there's very little real objective genetic information that is shared Mm -hmm. on the various groups of cattle that are selling. And no matter what the marketing venue is, auction, you know, uh, internet or video, there's just not a lot of that objective information. And yet we do have tools that help us to quantify the genetics in feeder cattle. So that was really where it all started. And I'll let Ken talk about really where we are currently with the task force and how that's coming together. Yeah, please do. Ken, uh, share us some updates as things are coming together for us. Well, uh, what we've done with uh, specifically here with Tom's leadership, that we've put together a, a task force. It's a group of people that uh, we believe really represents this industry in, in many different ways. Number one, it represents geographically. We know we have a lot of variation in in uh, our industry in various parts of the country, but we have a lot of cow-calf production in, in a good share of the country. Uh, and then secondly, we have uh, what I like to think is a good segment uh, representation. Uh, we've got a good group of cattle feeders who they're in the business of procuring calves, uh, feeder cattle uh, for their feedlots. And so uh, that group will bring a lot to the table here and as we as we look at uh, ways that we can actually elevate uh, the use of uh, genetic merit in marketing calves. So that's really exciting. We also recognize the importance of having uh, the good science. We've got two top-notch geneticists, uh, Dr. Matt Spangler from the University of Nebraska, Dr. Larry Keene from uh, the Meat Animal Research Center at Clay Center, Nebraska, and then two uh, really top uh, ag economist, Dr. Daryl Peel from Oklahoma State and John Nalivka, uh, who actually uh, lives out in Oregon and has uh, Sterling Marketing. So uh, we're bringing these folks all together here in a, another 10 days or so uh, for our first meeting, but uh, we're trying to have a pretty open slate for how we actually think about this. We, we recognize that there's uh, quite a few different ways that we can uh, that we can measure and document uh, genetics, uh, and uh, we're going to start uh, conversing about how we actually go about doing that here in about 10 days or so. Well, and, and Tom and Ken, uh, thank you for the insight in this. I think it's uh, fascinating stuff and, and great to hear about as you know, I think about this as well. Maybe both of you can expand upon this. Obviously, we're at a point where we're rebuilding our cattle herd, so it feels like this is a very opportune time for this task force to come together. We've seen the markets, obviously, at very high prices. We've seen high prices uh, at the sale barn, et cetera, and, and things of that nature. And so this cattle industry overall, I feel like it's at a time period where, where this task force could be really crucial in helping shape the future, can it? We feel like that is the case. And if you look at our competing industries, they all, I mean, really any agricultural product that you want to talk about, and if you know anything about it and are close to it, you'll know that they are using genetics to their best advantage. And that's a point of emphasis in all whether you talk about the poultry industry, swine, even dairy, and you can go into other agricultural products, crops, etc. They all use genetics in a very big way because, of course, it does influence performance and outcomes. And and we can create more desirable products. We have done really a pretty good job in our seed stock sector in beef over the last several decades and starting to really utilize 
objective genetic information through the use of EPDs and indexes. That's been very good for our seed stock sector, and we're, we're improving cattle faster than we ever have before because of that. But then you look at the feeder cattle market, and of course there's not very much of that type of information at all. And it's not to say that we'll we'll produce EPDs on commercial cattle. We really don't think that will be the case. Mm-hmm. But to use different types of objective genetic information that that characterize one group of feeder cattle to the next is important because about a third or maybe around 30% of the outcome that you see in feeding performance and carcass results is genetically determined. And, of course, the other 70% or two-thirds is coming from everything else, health, environment, management, and so forth. Mm-hmm. But that's that's a big chunk. That's an important part of the overall result, and it is something that we have the tools to influence. And, of course, the other big point is there's huge differences in groups of feeder cattle. I mean, hundreds of dollars a head difference in final result between some of the below-average cattle and, and some of the above-average cattle. Mm-hmm. In this market, especially like you mentioned, the high price market, it spreads that out even further. And so it, it is timely from that standpoint and the rebuilding of the herds that you mentioned and so forth. Yep. Now is the time to really take advantage of using these tools. Fantastic. Well, Ken, Tom, we're out of time. I appreciate both of you joining us here today on AOA. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you very much. You can learn more at redangus.org. We're out of time here on Agriculture of America, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Challenge. It's not something you shy from. It's a chance to up your game. Every day brings a new challenge. But with the Enhanced Channel Seed brand on your side, you can rise to it. With our top-performing seed, innovative digital tools, and expanded agronomic support, you can turn tomorrow's challenges into your next advantage. Your Enhanced Channel Seed brand. Let's rise to the challenge. Learn more at channel.com rise. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference bite by bite.